Welcome to our Thursday episode of our Journey Through Scripture. My name is Philip Thomas, pastor of Journey here in Elgin, Texas. We're so glad that you have joined us. We are starting an, another new book. We went through Ruth uh, last week, uh, not last week, on Tuesday, and now we're going through uh, beginning 1 Samuel. Uh, again, this is a transition period. Uh, Ruth is kind of a, a transition book. It talks a little bit about what was going on in uh, the time of the judges and and how there were good people, um, even though overall things were going really poorly. Uh, well, First Samuel begins the transition from the time of the judges uh, to what eventually will be the monarchy uh, and the time of the kings. Um, and Samuel is a, a major figure in the Old Testament. He's going to, to play a, a very important role. And so we see in chapter 1, uh, we, we're introduced to how Samuel comes on the scene. And there's some similarities here. So there is a, a guy uh, named uh, Elkanah, and, and he had two wives. Um, that's, that's never a good start to a story. You know that that's always going to mean there's some challenges. Um, and sure enough, there's challenges here. Um, one of the wives was named Hannah, and that was the one that he preferred. However, Hannah could not have children. Um, and so each week or each year, they would go up to Shiloh to offer sacrifices and uh, they they went, and Hannah would uh, would always ask uh, the Lord for the blessing of children. And of course, uh, her rival, the other wife, made fun of her. I thought it's just uh, interesting. Verse seven says, "So it was year by year when she went up to the house of the Lord that she provoked her. Therefore, she wept and did not eat." So. Hannah is is basically being bullied by the other wife. Uh, she doesn't have uh, children. Um, Elkanah tried to comfort her. I, I will say this is probably just a good guy, a good uh, lesson for for any husband. Never try to comfort your wife this way. It says, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is it your heart uh, grieved? Am I not better to you than ten sons? The answer is no. You're not. <laughs> that that is not a good way to try to comfort your wife. Um, and uh, but she, he he does obviously care for Hannah and loves Hannah and doesn't know how to fix the problem. So Hannah uh, goes and and uh, she begins uh, praying. Uh, she's at the doorpost of the tabernacle. Um, she was bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. Anguish. You know, that's a good lesson for us. Even whenever we are broken and bitter and in anguish, we should still be going to the Lord. He can handle our emotion. He can handle whenever we're feeling that way. Um, we need to be reaching out to him, and Hannah was. And uh, she made a vow, said, O oh, the Lord of hosts, you will indeed look at the affliction of your maidservant. Remember me, uh, give your maidservant a male child, and I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall come upon his head. So again, this is a dedication uh, to the Lord that she is promising that I will dedicate this child to the Lord. Um, and uh, it's interesting, Eli, uh, the priest, um, hears her, thinks that she is just drunk, and so basically says, how long are you going to be drunk? Get your wine away from me. 
I think, and and uh, Hannah says, "No, I'm I'm a woman of sorrowful spirit." She explains the situation, and Eli answers, "says Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition which you have asked of Him." And uh, and she said, "Let your maidservant find favor in your sight." So the woman went away and ate, and her face was no longer sad. So that that interaction, that reassurance of her crying out to God, gave her hope that things would be okay. Now it, it wasn't guaranteed at this time um you know but but she felt that god had uh had restored her and that god was going to be with her and so then we see in the second half of there of chapter uh, one that samuel is born um and uh, she names him samuel saying because i have asked uh for him from the lord um and she took take care of Samuel. She uh, raises him for a, a couple of years to get him strong, probably. We don't know exactly the time frame there. Um, but then uh, uh, she gets to the, the end of chapter 1 there. She says, For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition, which I ask of him. Therefore I also have lent him to the Lord. As long as he shall live, he shall be lent to the Lord, so that they worship the Lord there. So she is going to fulfill her vow and take Samuel back to Shiloh uh, to where he will uh, stay with Eli and he will be a servant of the Lord. Uh, chapter two is, is very uh, neat. The first part of it is Hannah's prayer. Just talks about who God is um, and how she is uh, celebrating who God is and how God has been uh, with her. And so now we, we start getting a little bit of the background and, and situation that Samuel is, has entered. Eli is the chief priest. Uh, he is kind of, in a way, serving as the judge of that day. Um, so he is very powerful. But his sons were very wicked, um, and they did things for themselves. They did not take the sacrifices seriously. Um, they basically were using them power, their power to better themselves. People did what was right in their own eyes. They were doing that. Uh, Eli, there, we don't have the indication that he was. He seems to be a, a man of God, uh, but his sons were not. Uh, we see that uh, Samuel uh, ministered before the Lord. Um, uh, each each and every year, his uh, mom, Hannah, uh, would come and, and see him and spend time with him. Uh, but it also says, and the Lord visited Hannah so that she conceived and bore three more sons and two daughters. And uh, Samuel continued to grow in the Lord. Um, then then we have a, a prophecy uh, against uh, Eli's uh, household. I want to read just a little bit. It says, Now Eli was very old, and he heard everything that his sons did to all of Israel, and how they lay with women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. So he said to them, Why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all the people. No, my sons, for it is not a good report that I hear. You make the Lord's people transgress. If one man sins against another, God will judge him. But if man sins against the Lord, who will intercede for him? Nevertheless, they did not heed the voice of their father. Right, so it's interesting, kind of what uh, what Eli uh, says. He hears what they're doing. They are com they're committing idolatry. They are bringing in some of the practices of of other pagan religions that would have included sexual pra practices at the temples, and they were doing that. Um, that they again were doing what is right in their own eyes. It was all about them. They were using their power and influence as representatives of God. They were doing that for their own 
benefit. And, uh, and man, Eli is holding them to a higher standard. He said, if a man sins against another, God will judge him, right? But if man sins against God, so they are being God's representative and they are deliberately sinning against God, he said, who will intercede for him? Well, they didn't care, right? That wasn't because they didn't believe. They didn't, they didn't believe that was going to be the case, and they were more concerned about doing what was right in their own eyes than in God's eyes. And we see uh, that, uh, of course, all through this, it keeps mentioning that uh, Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favor with both the Lord and men. So Samuel is seeing all of this. He's experiencing all of this, but he continues to grow uh, closer to God, and he is also well-respected uh, among the people. Um, then the, the last part there of, of chapter 2 um, is another uh, just kind of going over uh, all of the things that uh, Eli's sons uh, have done and, and how that they will be uh, held to account. Um, chapter 3 is a very familiar uh, one. It's the calling of Samuel. And it uh, starts off, it says, The boy Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no widespread revelation. So again, we're in a time period. This is at the end of the period of the judges. Uh, we're transitioning to the period of the kings, but this is a time where everyone did what was right in their own eyes. So God was not speaking as he had in the past. And so it was was rare. And so we have Samuel that he goes to bed uh, and he he hears the Lord call him and he answers, here I am. So he ran to Eli. He said, what do you want? Eli said, it's not me. Quit waking me up. Go to sleep. Then it happens again. Uh, and then it happens a third time. And then Eli perceived that the Lord had called the boy. And uh, Eli said to Samuel, go lie down and it shall be if he calls you that you say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. So Samuel went, lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood and called uh, as at the other time, Samuel, Samuel, the Lord called. And Samuel answered, speak for your servant is listening. And then this is interesting. This is the first thing that God gives to Samuel. It says, the Lord said to Samuel, behold, I will do something in Israel at which both ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. In that day, I will perform against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. For I've told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knows, because his sons made themselves vile and he did not restrain them. And therefore I have sworn to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Now, if I'm Samuel and a, a young boy and I'm hearing from God, that would be exciting. This would not be an exciting message to receive. Basically, the, your mentor, the person who is raising you and teaching you to be a, a priest and teaching you about God, um, God just told you that, uh, Eli, I'm going to take care of your household and not in a good way, right? That you have allowed your sons to, to be vile and to bring iniquity upon your house and uh, that you have not restrained them. And so it's a tough message. And then it would be even worse when, if you did sleep, uh, you wake up and you go and talk to Eli and Eli's like, Hey, what, what happened? What did God say? Um, and so, uh, Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him, right? Wouldn't it be tempting 
to kind of ease off or maybe even say something completely untrue because you wanted to Eli to feel better. Uh, but Samuel told him everything. Uh, he said, it is the Lord, let him do what he seems good to him. And so Eli actually shows a lot of maturity here. Eli is kind of a tragic figure uh, to me. He's obviously a man of God, but he did not control his household, and he allowed the evil to happen, right? It's not that he did it, but he allowed it to happen, and the consequences of that are going to be dire. We get into a... Uh, you, you kind of now have uh, verse 19. So Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. What does that mean? It means that Samuel's words, anytime he was prophetic, that they would, they would be true, that God would speak to him, that, he, that God was clearly using him, that Samuel was not being deceptive, that what he said was true uh, and what he said came true. So he's obviously developing a strong relationship with the people, and they're starting to recognize uh, Samuel as being someone very important. Uh, Chapter 4, we see uh, that uh, Israel is defeated um, uh, by the Philistines. Uh, It says they went out to battle against the Philistines and camped beside Ebenezer. We'll, we'll see that here in just a little bit. Um, and uh, Israel was defeated by the Philistines. The Philistines uh, take the Ark of the Covenant. Um, I thought it was interesting down in uh, verse 7. It says, so the Philistines were afraid, for they said, God has come into the camp. And they said, woe to us, for such a thing has never happened before. Woe to us, who will deliver, deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods? These are the gods who struck the Egyptians with all the plagues in the wilderness. Um, so they are terrified. They see the Ark of the Covenant. And they're like, why have you brought this here? Um, you know, w- what are you doing? We need to get rid of this. It, it, isn't it interesting that they did recognize the power of God? Uh, they, they had a pagan view of him, uh, but they recognized there was power there. And so they gather their strength and they fight and they do uh, uh destroy and overtake the people of Israel. They win the battle. Um, and during that battle, um, the ark was, uh, uh, as well as being captured, Eli's sons both were killed in that battle. So they have now received uh, their uh, their punishment. Uh, we have the death of Eli. A man comes back uh, to, to tell Eli kind of what was happened. He tells him that both of his sons are, are dead and that the ark of God has been captured. Uh, verse 18, it says, Then it happened when he made mention of the ark of God. And, and this, is, this is interesting. Not whenever Eli is told about his sons, but when Eli hears that the ark of God has been taken, uh, Eli fell off the seat backward by the side of the gate, and his neck was broken and he died, for the man was old, and heavy. <laughs> and, and he had judged Israel for 40 years. Isn't it interesting how, how that happens? And uh, uh, Eli falls off, he breaks his neck, and he, he dies, but not in reaction to hearing that his sons are dead, but in reaction to seeing that the people have fallen, that, that now the ark of God is not with the people of God, that the ark is now with the Philistines. 
Um, you have a interesting thing here. One of the uh, Phineas uh, wife, who was Eli's son, uh, she also goes into labor because of this, and then she dies during labor. Uh, she has a, a child, uh, and, and the the name of that child uh, was Ichabod, because it which means the glory has departed from Israel. Uh, so this is a a, a horrific time, a terrible time that now the Philistines have the Ark of the Covenant. So they actually put the Ark in, in with their gods, and there's a god named Dagon. That was a powerful god. Uh, we see evidence in other places other than the Bible that there was a god named Dagon. It was a fertility god, also a god of war, of power, things like that. Um, the Ark was put in with it, and when the Philistines walked in, the next day, the statue of Dagon had collapsed and had broken. Um, kind of interesting way that God decided to remind them that he is still the one true God. So the people, the Philistines were very uh, nervous about that. So they started sending the uh, ark from town to town. And each town had major problems with it. People would get sick. Uh, people would get tumors, <laughs> things like that. So they kept moving the ark uh, from town to town. Finally, the ark was uh, uh, re- returned uh, to Israel. Uh, I-, I love this. It's a uh, Verse 5 of chapter 6 says, Therefore you shall make images of the tumors and images of the rats that ravage the land, and you shall give glory to the God of Israel. Perhaps he will lighten his hand from you, from your gods, and from from the land. This is uh, the... Philistines are talking to someone to get it, give advice. Um, and, and he's basically a spiritual guy. He's not from Israel. Um, but he's, he's telling them, this is what you need to do. And he says, why then do you harden your hearts as the Egyptians and Pharaoh hardened their hearts? He's basically saying, give up on this. You need to get rid of this and give it back to the people. And, uh, so they, they do that. They take the ark, uh, and they, uh, give give offerings and basically tell the people take this back we don't want it anymore so the people of israel uh receive the ark uh again um and this kind of begins uh the time of samuel so samuel now eli is dead now samuel is the the priest and in chapter 7 uh we see the the men of the uh, town where they brought the ark back um, um, brought it into the house of Abinadab um, and, uh, and, and consecrated it there. And it remained there for a long time. It was there for 20 years, uh, and all of Israel lamented after the Lord. But then Samuel comes into to power and says, Samuel spoke to all of the house of Israel, uh, saying, If you return to the Lord with all your hearts, then put away your foreign gods, the Ashereths from among you, and prepare your hearts for the Lord, and serve him only, and he will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. Um, and the, the people respond, we have sinned against the Lord. Um, they, uh, verse 12, then Samuel took a stone, set it up between Mizpah and Shen and called its name Ebenezer, right? Saying thus far, the Lord has helped us. That's that's what that word means. He's recognizing that God is with them. Um, and they eventually overtook the Philistines, defeated them in battle. And so now Samuel was, uh, the judge, um, there in Israel, the judge and the priest and had uh, major power um, throughout all of the land. Um, and this is, this is interesting because, again, what does uh, Samuel say? He says, you have to 
put away your foreign gods. You have to repent. Uh, you have to start doing things God ways, God's way rather than doing things that are right in your own eyes. And whenever we do what's right in our own eyes, it leads us away from God. So Samuel now is bringing the people back to God. All right, so for next Tuesday, encourage you to read uh, starting in chapter 8 um, uh, and read probably the next uh, five. Well, we'll probably go to uh, chapter 15, so 8 through 15 um, for next Tuesday. All right, hope you have a great weekend. We'll see you then.